Well, you can turn in your Bibles this evening to Hebrews chapter number 10. Um, we are on Thursday nights been answering the question how to and just kind of walking through some different questions that were asked of me uh, and other areas of study that I have uh, pursued and looked into. Uh, leans towards a practical study, just kind of answering a real practical way how to do different things. And uh, we are coming to the conclusion of this. I, I may, for the next couple of weeks, maybe uh, get out to the end of January, and then we're probably going to get into a Bible study uh, just uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through a book of the Bible. Uh, so if you have a particular book of the Bible that interests you, I'm praying about what the Lord would have me tackle in uh, study and prepare to teach. And uh, so if you have something uh, that I have not covered in the last few years and, and would like to, to study it, I would love to at some point ha to have preached through all of the books of the Bible. And uh, so I try and do at least one a year. So I've got 66 more years, you know, <laughs> I got a few of them done, but uh, I mean, it's going to take a little while. So I have to get a few more than one a year. Some of the shorter ones, maybe we can knock out a couple of them. Uh, but I don't know. I know one guy that taught for like five and a half years through the book of Psalms. So hopefully uh, we won't be quite that long in, in that one. Um, but I would love to have completed all of them and taught through all of them by the time the Lord takes me home. But if not, I guess I'll get to finish studying it in heaven. Amen. Um, but, uh, you know, so if you've got an area that interests you and would like us to look at, you can talk to me about it. And I'll be praying about what the Lord will have us tackle in, in a couple of weeks. But this evening, we're going to look at the practical aspect of how to get the most out of church. How to get the most out of church. Look in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 through 25. These are some familiar verses as we talk about those things. And, and we know the admonition here given to us uh, to uh, put a high priority on the house of God. But we say here in, in verse number 19 in Hebrews chapter number 10. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How to get the most out of church. Well, I think most here know uh, and understand that just because you have a church, just because you have a place maybe that you go does not mean that you're getting fed. It does not mean that you're growing spiritually. It does not mean that you're moving forward for God. Just because you have a place that maybe is titled or called a church that you attend or that you participate in does not necessarily mean that you as an individual are moving forward for God. 
We want to, as we gather for church, don't want it to just be a time of of fellowship, although that's an important part of it. We don't want it just to be a, a gathering, but we want it to be a time and a place where God meets with us where God speaks to our hearts and challenges us and where we are, are drawn into his presence for a few minutes, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Well, if God's people are gathering together in church and we're not feeling and noticing the moving of God, there's a problem. There's a problem. And so we want to see that. We want to experience it. Can I assure you today that the church is just as important as it ever has been? We live in an unprecedented time in human history. The technological advancements are progressing at an exponential rate. With these new advancements come a lot of new comforts. But at the same time, there comes new moral dilemmas, new challenges to try and maneuver and find our way through. They are literally on the cusp of being able to rewrite the human genome to be able to reprogram the human body. If you have a a marker in your DNA that is uh, propensity towards cancer, they're able to take that, rewrite it, and give it back to you with that that marker gone. They have been able to heal blindness by rewriting the code in mice. So that opens up a whole new dilemma because people say, well, I don't know that man is supposed to be messing with that. That's, that's God's realm. And so they say, you know, uh, that we shouldn't be doing that. Um, you know, I don't know how many of you have heard about the fact that with AI, the advancement in AI, which is, again, increasing at an exponential rate, it, the, the S-curve is unbelievable. But they're able to, with a few instructions, AI is able to produce art, very beautiful art. It can, it can come up with an, a masterpiece of art. You can even ask it to create art after the fashion of Van Gogh or some other artist. And it will create art that looks like Van Gogh created it. All with AI. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Chat, chat BBT, but uh, GBT, but they, Chat GBT they can use to write an essay. It'll literally write an essay for you. You can say, give me an essay on the importance of the church. And through AI, it will write an essay for you. Now, that brings up the dilemma. Can kids use AI to do their homework? (laughs) Some people say yes. Other people say no because, well, they shouldn't do that. And then other people say, what's the difference between using the technology of a calculator and using this technology to write my essay. Uh, there's no difference. Well, there, there's just a lot of moral dilemmas that are going to be coming up that people got to face. I actually asked Chat GBT to write an essay on the importance of the church. I can't read it without my glasses. So I'll, I'll give you an idea of what it, what it could come up with all, all by itself. This was, this was written by AI. The church is an integral part of the Christian faith. It's a place where believers can come and gather together to worship and learn and fellowship with each other. The importance of the church cannot be overstated as it is a vital part of the Christian life and faith. Further, it is a place where believers can come together to worship God. Through corporate worship, believers can express their love for God and express thankfulness for all that He has done for them. It is also a place where believers can come together and learn more about God and His Word. 
It goes on, it says the church is a place where also is a place for service. It says church is a place, is a vital part of the Christian life and faith where believers can come together. So, AI. What I'm saying is in today's world, in the technology that we have and and the way that things are progressing, there's a lot of moral dilemmas, a lot of questions that are going to be arising in the church is vitally important. There's a, a idea today, we're, we're more connected than we've ever been, yet we're further apart than we've ever been. The, the individualist mentality that's prevalent in the society today uh, is promoted and brought to a point where it even comes to the church where people say, well, I don't, I don't really need church. I don't need it. I, I can worship God anywhere. I don't have to be there. But God never removed the priority that he put on church. And we need to have it as a place and a thing of priority in our lives. Some may look at church as a burden or an unwanted assignment, much like a course requirement that they don't really want to fulfill. We understand that God put a priority on it. It's something that we should do. But we feel like, man, it's a drudgery. It's a, it's, it's, it's a task that to me seems, you know, just unnecessary, but because I, I have to, I will, but we should not be approaching church that way. I had numerous college assignments that I approached that way. <laughs> Things that I had to do to, in order to get my certificate or to pass this class, but I looked at it and said, this is not necessary. It's wholly unneeded, but I passed my classes, amen, which is a miracle from heaven, <laughs> that's for sure. Friend, I want you to understand that it's possible for us as believers to move beyond the, po- the, the place where we reluctantly fulfill our duty and get to the place where we joyfully are fulfilled in the church. That's where we can get to and that's where God wants us. First of all, I want you to see that the priority that's placed on the house of God the priority that's placed on the house of God. We see that familiar verse in number 25 there. He says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It needs to be a part of our life that we uh, acknowledge and realize and put a priority on the house of God. And I've told you before that uh, regardless of what happens in your life, regardless of where you're at or whatever goes on, if you in your heart make it a point to say, I'm going to be in the house of God, there'll be times where you're coming because it's duty. Because that's what you know you're supposed to do. But if you're in the house of God, you're in the place where God can get a hold of your heart again. If you're in the house of God, you're in a place where a brother or sister can exhort you and encourage you and, and come alongside you and be a help to you. But if you get out of church, you've removed that influence. And the chances of God getting a hold of you out there in the world without that contact with his word is pretty slim. Outside of some great, really usually it's a great catastrophe that comes into your life that brings you back to church. But if you'll just stay in God's house, if you'll set a priority in your heart, no matter what happens, we're going to be in church. I may not be excited about it. I may right now be doing it all out of duty and and don't really have any joy, but I know that this is where I'm supposed to be, so I'm going to be there. And then just ask God to give you a heart for it. (coughs) Excuse me. We need to have it as a priority. 
No, we know that you don't have to go to church to be saved, but you do need to go to church to please God. You do need to be in church to grow as a Christian, to edify and encourage one another. God and his word has always put a priority on his people meeting with him. In the Old Testament, we know it was uh, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day? Four, put them together. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You've got to remember the Sabbath day. And we know in the New Testament, Jesus gathered and worshiped by his example. If we say, you know, people say, well, we don't want to, you know, let, let's stick with the New Testament. Well, the New Testament, we know that, that Jesus gathered and worshiped. We know that the New Testament church met daily. Uh, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 through 47, he says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And in fear came every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and all had things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and ev- as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. And breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So with the New Testament... Priority was put on the church. Priority was put on gathering, on coming together, on meeting together as a church. We've lost the basic understanding of the reason that we come together. People today believe the church is just about them. People say, well, I don't need church. Or I can worship church out on the golf course. I can worship church. Worship God out on the golf course. I can can talk to God in my car. I can talk to God anywhere. This is true. You can But you can't gather together with the church out on the golf course. You can't gather together with the church in your car. The the priority was put on the gathering, the coming together, the called out assembly, the ecclesia, the church, a called out assembly. That's the priority that we see. So we need to get back to an understanding of why we gather. Let me give you a few reasons that we gather for worship these are going to be coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you would like to turn there, we will be back. Our, our main points will be coming from our text uh, there in Hebrews. But these reasons why we gather together, you could see several places in the book of Corinthians. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14, first of all, we gather together. The number one, the highest priority, the highest purpose is that we would glorify God. That we would glorify God. We know that it is a matter of coming together. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 26, he says, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together? He's saying when you gather together, when you come together as a church, that's what the church is. It's a group of people that have come together to meet, to worship, and to glorify God. Everything we do in our life, we know, is supposed to be for the purpose of glorifying God. And that includes church attendance. Again, I want to reiterate, we've got to get back to the point where we understand the reason we come to church. Sometimes we get consumed with ourselves and we think that church is about us. And the smorgasbord mentality and what does the church do for me? And does this church have a right program for my kids? And does this church offer this? And and is the music something that I really like? And is this connecting with me this way? But what is the number one purpose that we go to church? It's to glorify him. It's not about us. It's about him. And so we need to understand that and keep that in the forefront of our mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 25, 
He says, and thus are the secrets of the hearts made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God. What Paul is saying here, he says, as a church, when you gather together, when you come together and start glorifying God, start worshiping God, somebody from the outside is going to come through the doors. Somebody who hasn't been part of this group, this, this flock, somebody who maybe doesn't even know the Lord is their Savior, they'll come in here and he says, by the glory that you're giving to God, by what's happening in these presents, he says there that they will fall on their face and will worship God. They'll understand, they'll see what God's doing, and they'll say, wow, that's what I need. I need to honor and worship and glorify God. We come together to glorify God. Secondly, we come together to edify one another. We see in verse number 26 there, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, he says, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, he says, let all things be done unto edifying. Let all things be done unto edifying. He says, hey, when you come together, some of you got some scripture to read and you're going to expound the scriptures. Some of you got a testimony you want to proclaim. God did something miraculous in your life this week. Some of you got a song that you want to sing because God's put a song in your heart. Some of you are going to stand up and just praise God. He says, but let it all be done to what? Edify one another. You see, it's not about so everybody can see me. It's so that we would exhort and encourage one another and honor and glorify God. We come together to edify one another. In the church in Corinth, which had gotten real carnal, Paul kind of gets onto them, kind of gets, gets them in trouble a little bit, you know, kind of says, hey, there, there's some schisms among you. There's some problems among you. There's some of you that, you know, you're an eyeball and you feel like you're more important than the hand. You know, he, he gives us that. I think it's in chapter number 12. He talks about the body and he says, hey, the body, uh, listen, the, the foot's not more important in the hand and the hand's not more important in the eye and, and, and the, the nose is not more important uh, than the fingers. Every part of the body has a, a function to fulfill. They're all important. And so it's not about, oh, everybody's going to see me play the piano or everybody's going to see me sing. It's about edifying one another. He says, then... Uh, thirdly, we come together that we might understand. Now, this is, uh, I think, nine or ten times listed in the passage here, that the, the term or the word understand. But look, in, if you've got your Bible there, you can look in 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 9. He says, so likewise, ye expect, ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak unto the air. He says, you need to say things that are understood in verse number 15. He says, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with an understanding also. He says, I will sing with an understanding also. In verse number 19, he says, yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that my voice, that by my voice, I might teach others also. Than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. He says, boy, 10,000 words in an un unknown tongue doesn't matter if I can speak Greek. If you don't speak Greek, it's not going to do any good for me to get up and talk about it. Amen, brother. <laughs> brother Armando's father's here, and, and he's sitting there trying to get it. But this is an unknown tongue. 
And he catches a few things, but, but some of it slips by, and Armando's trying to remember to, to give him some little bit of information. But, uh, you know, let's say we switch places, and, and he comes up and finishes the service in Spanish. It's not going to do us any good. Him and Armando and Sue will get it. Uh, Miss Trudy will get it. Anybody else speak Spanish? <laughs> a little bit, a few, a few things, yeah. Gus, yeah, Gus will get it. Uh, the rest of us might as well go home. I mean, we don't, we, we don't know. We need an interpreter. Maybe we, Armando could interpret, right? But that's what he's saying. He says, you need, you need to speak with understanding. And you know, that's what we come into the church for, is to get understanding of this book. He's using the example here, the idea of speaking in an unknown tongue, but uh, he says the goal is understanding. So when we come into God's house, that's what we're searching for, is to get understanding. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us into all truth and shines a light on the truth of the Word of God and gives us understanding as it's preached. And we see also that we are to submit one to another. We are to submit. It's obviously we submit to one another, but ultimately and most importantly, we're to submit to the Father. When we are confronted with something in our life, a truth, a principle, something that we've neglected to do or uh, we've been doing that we shouldn't be doing or something that would be good to him that knoweth do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Maybe there's something that we would be good for us to do and we just haven't been doing it too much. And we're confronted with that. We're supposed to submit to the Father. That's what the preaching of the word brings us to a point of decision. Okay, what are we going to do with it? You're just going to let it go? That's why as a church we have invitations here. To bring us to a point of making a decision. There are some services that are a lot more teaching. Tonight's kind of a lot of teaching. And, and, and not really designed to, to try and draw or bring about a decision. But many services are, are really decision-based. It's either yes or no, or I am or I ain't. And you've got to decide, what am I going to do? So you need to decide that. We're supposed to submit to the Father. And then lastly, is to testify to the lost. And I believe that these are in order of importance. Many people believe that the only reason the church exists is to win the lost. We are to win the lost. You know that's been preached here. There's an importance on it. There's an emphasis on it. But what does the church come together for? If we're doing our job right, there's not going to be too many lost in this room. This is where we edify one another. This is where we glorify him. This is where we get understanding of the scripture. This is where, as Warren Worsby put it, he said, we gather together so that we have power for when we're scattered. We gather together so we have power for when we're scattered. So that when we go out into the world... We have the power of God. We have an understanding of the scripture. We have the Holy Spirit's leading. We have the ability to go out and to win the lost and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Amen.
And you know, when we come to God's house, it is a testimony to the Lord. I mean, testimony to the world. The testimony of the Lord's work in our life that we believe. You know, when you get up and on a Sunday morning you come into God's house, you're testifying to the whole world that you believe that he's risen from the dead. That's why we meet on Sunday. Because he's alive. Because he, he rose from the dead and he's in heaven. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father. You know, people don't get together to, to meet up with, I don't know, Lee Iacocca. Is he dead? <laughs> it's been, he's pretty, it's pretty old, right? I was just trying to think of some guy that everybody would know that was definitely dead. People don't get together to meet up and, hey, we're going to meet up today with Lee Iacocca. I mean, if you went out and told people that and said, hey, we're going to get together, they'd be like, what? You understand by you coming to God's house, you're telling the world you believe that Jesus is alive. That he, he's, we're gathered together to bring honor and glory to our Heavenly Father and to testify to the world that we believe Jesus is alive. And we, we testify every time you come into God's house to those that, are in, that don't bother to come that we believe it, that he is in heaven and he is alive and we worship him. Now I've got to move because I have like seven points tonight. We're going to see, secondly, the promise. The promise. I didn't give Gus my outline. Sorry, Gus. Uh, so we saw, first of all, the priority that we need to have. Secondly, we see the promise. He says in verse number 23 is where the word comes from. But he says, and we're going to back up to 19 to read what the promise says. But he says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. But in verse 19 and 20, we see here, uh, an amazing thing. He says, having therefore, brother, in boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, but a new, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us. Through the veil that, it, that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. You see, friend, we have forgotten the privilege that is ours to come to God's house. The veil that has been rent in two. The privilege that ours, and I'm not just talking about in our country where we can gather in freedom and not worry about reprisal or being jailed or, or stoned for coming together in God's house. But I'm talking about the privilege that we got when Jesus Christ forgave us of our sin and came and dwelt in our hearts. We believe in the priesthood of the believer and we are priests before God and Jesus Christ is our high priest. Back in the Old Testament, man, the people couldn't go into the presence of God. Only the priest could do that. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. But we as God's people have the privilege to gather together and be in the very presence of God. To see God work in hearts and change lives and do miraculous things. And it is a privilege. It's a promise of God that the veil was rent in two. And not only are we called, but we're commanded to come boldly into the throne of grace. We come before his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. What a privilege is ours because of what Jesus did for us. We can't neglect that privilege. The privilege it is to gather in God's house to meet where two or three are gathered together. There am I in the midst of them. It's something that should be uh, not just a priority, but something that's precious to us. Something we look at and say, man, I need to get back in God's house. You want to get the most out of your church. Keep it a priority. Remember that promise, which I could have titled privilege. The privilege is ours. And I want you to see 
that if we want to get the most, we've got to avoid the problem. He says here in verse number 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. If you want to get the most out of church, you've got to come with a true heart. A true heart. That word true, according to Strong's, that Greek scholar means honest. That's profound, right? <laughs> you, you were, okay. I looked it up. I'm like, that's the only definition is honest. That's the only word he says is true means honest. Well, I could have I guessed that, you know. True means honest. But let me ask you, how many of us are really, I mean, in our heart, honest? Honest before God. Bill and I were talking this week, and he was uh, just talking. We are talking about the fact that, hey, the heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Sometimes we don't even know our own heart. But he says, hey, you want to you wanna get the most out of it? Draw near with a true heart, an honest heart. You know, that reminds me of a passage of Scripture over in the parables in Luke chapter 8. You know the parables of the seed and the soil and the good ground and the bad ground and all that? Let me remind you what he says in Luke eight fifteen. He says, but on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So we need to ask God for an honest and good heart. An honest and good heart. Because in, in, only in the presence of an honest and a good heart will the word of God meet soil that it can get root in. And so we need to have an honest and good heart before God. We need to come, secondly, with a cleansed heart. He says there, having your heart sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, with a cleansed heart. To get the most out of church, we've got to get clean with God. The joyous pleasure that's ours is we know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And when he forgives you, you can let go of that guilt and come into his presence. We need to purify our mind and turn away from the worldly entertainments. You can do whatever you want in, in your home, but you know there's several things that, that I limit on Saturday. Because Saturday is when preparation begins for Sunday. And we're not going to be absorbing and taking in the world's entertainment on Saturday night. We're going to begin preparing our hearts and minds for the word on Sunday. And if you stay up late taking in whatever it is, I'm not even saying you're watching something wicked. I mean, you, you know, you may be watching something most things aren't any good, but I mean, this, I mean, you know, football or, you know, you may be watching the news. I mean, you know, you might be watching just, I'm just saying you're taking that stuff in. Your mind is being absorbed with the stuff of the world, things around you. 
and you're not prepared in your heart and mind when you come into the house of God to hear from heaven. You're weighted down. You're heavy. You know, I think about it. You know, when you've been out working, have any of you ever, ever throw hay, throw straw? You've done that. Uh, and, and you're out working in the field, out there working in the dirt, whatever, in a garden. And you know how you just feel you come in and you're like, you know what? I don't want to do anything else. I just want to take a shower. Yeah. You know, I want to take a shower first. You know, I mean, you feel so dirty. You feel so just gritty everywhere. And, and, you know, you got straw down your shirt. And you're like, I want to get a shower and put some clean clothes on. And then I can relax this evening. Once I, once I get that done. Well, I, I think about that from the aspect of spiritually. A lot of times we get so cluttered with the stuff of the world. That we come into God's house and, and it's like, man, I'm not really ready for this. You know, you come in from the field and your wife says, hey, dinner's on the table. You're ready to eat. And you're like, ah, I'm not eating. I, I, I could not enjoy that meal right now. I'm going to go in and shower and get cleaned up. And then I'm going to come down and sit down and enjoy the meal. It will be a little bit cold. Well, I'd rather a little bit cold than than the way I am right now. And I think a lot of times we come into God's house and expect him to do something miraculous when, when we're just not ready to hear it. We've got so much, you know, we're listening to the news on the way to church instead of listening to some good godly music, listening to some, some music that lifts your soul and encourages you and praises, praising God and, and bringing you in or listening to some scripture. Instead, you're listening to NPR. But that's not what you need on Sunday morning. That's not what you need when you're on your way to house. You want to get the most out of it, then purify your mind of those things. James chapter 1 and verse number 21, he says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfility of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. You see, there's a two parts there to get the word is lay apart all that stuff. And then receive with meekness, with humility. Be teachable. Be teachable. I know there's people in here and you've got years on me. I, I'm, there's somebody in here that says, I'm old enough to be your mother. <laughs> said, I wouldn't tell people that. <laughs> I understand that, and I, I strive to present the Word of God with authority, but at the same time with humility. I never want to lord over the flock. There's only one head of the church, and that's Jesus Christ. And with the ability that God's given me, I want to try and exhort and encourage and feed you the Word of God but you know what? It does take a little humility on your, your part too. And, and I understand that. And to me, I'm, I'm humbled that you come in here and sit and listen to me because, you know, I, I go back after I preach one of these messages and I think, man, them poor people. <laughs> I don't know how, how they put up with me. But, but you understand it's not me. It's the spirit of God and the word of God that he can take and use in our heart and lives. And so sometimes it might take a little meekness, might take a little bit of uh, humility to accept it. If we're not careful, especially if we've been in church a long time, and listen, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody in here. 
because you guys know I grew up in church. I lived at church. And we get kind of the idea that, oh, I've heard this before. How many times have I heard something preached from this passage? I'll bet you I could give him his outline. You know, I mean, we get the idea that, but we need to look and say, Lord, would you feed me tonight? Because he can feed us. Even with the most simplest of truths. And I want you to see the presentation. You'll understand the, why I use this word here in just a minute. But in verse number 24, he says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. The presentation. What I'm saying is we need to remember that church is not all about us. That we are here for each other. It's God's plan. We need to look for opportunities to give. Consider one another. And I'm not just talking about giving in the aspect of of we know we give to God. I I believe that's part of worship. I believe the Bible is very clear that the tenth belongs to God. He says, if you're not if you're not given a tenth, you're robbing him. And that is, he says, you'll have a curse on your finances. So we give to God. But I think beyond that, we're talking about getting the most out of your church. Stop looking at it like when you come through the doors, okay, what's the church going to give me today? What am I going to get from the church today? Instead, look around and consider one another. Because that's really what Christianity is. And we're talking about those one another's on Sunday, and so I'm not going to spend time here to dig into that. But we know the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. We know that we need to do that. You want to, you want to rejoice and have a real spirit of rejoicing? Hold one another up in prayer. Take these prayer requests and labor over those. Pray for one another. You know, I was excited to see Armando and Sue come through the doors tonight. Because that was an answer not to mine alone, but I was praying with the church family that they would be healed. And so you get joy when you're praying for a brother or sister and you see God answer that. I was rejoicing. I didn't even know that Matt got a job. I was still praying he would get a job. Uh, maybe he wishing I would pray he got a raise. Amen. <laughs> but but, but I, I was like, man, amen, he got a job. That's an answer to prayer. And what I'm saying is you get fulfillment, you get joy when it's not all about you, but you come in and look for opportunities to serve. And you come in and look for opportunities to be a blessing to somebody else. And you consider each other and hold each other up in prayer and fulfill the law of Christ in the, in the family of God. And practically, I want you to just think about some aspects of preparation. When you come in to God's house... When possible, get a good night's rest. You need to prepare physically. You know, I know sometimes things happen on Saturday and, you know, the water heater blows up and the basement floods and you got to clean all that up and you're up till three or four in the morning getting that done and then you got to get up and come to church and, and, and praise God you, you made it through the doors and you're here. I understand those things happen, but when you have control over it, say, hey, kids, Hey, hon, 
Let's, let's go to bed a little bit early so that we're rested and, and ready for tomorrow. We want to be ready for God's house. Prepared physically so that you can be fed spiritually. And then we know that when we come into God's house, we need to be still before God. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. We need to have that mindset, that mentality when we come to God's house. Before church start is not the time. And listen, I know most of you, you're, well, there's some parents in here that have younger kids. But most, most of the folks, their kids are grown and gone and such. But it's not time to be wrestling in the foyer. Before church is not time to be playing football in the parking lot. Before church is time to be still. To prepare to meet with God. It's just that spirit, that mindset. I love it when I come into the God's house and I see some people here and you know it's 15 minutes before church and they're just they're just reading their Bible for a few minutes. Maybe they're, they're praying over the prayer list a little bit. They've got a few minutes to kill before church starts. But they're preparing their heart and mind, being still before God. And listen, we're, we are here to fellowship and encourage one another. Um, but uh, keeping that mindset that, hey, we're coming together to meet with God, and that's what the priority is. Be focused on the service. Put the distractions of the world aside. And let me encourage you to let others focus on the service. We, we work hard to minimize distractions. Um, and it's not that we want to be so stuffy in church that we can't ever, uh, you know, squeak <laughs> or, or say anything. You know, that's not what we want. Um, but we want to minimize the distractions. Not just, again, it's not just about me. It's about who's around me and other people. And so I don't want to be a distraction for anybody else. And so just a simple thought, like if I come in 10 minutes late, probably would be less of a distraction if I sit in the back instead of the front. I mean, that, that makes sense, right? Um, if, you know, I don't want to pick on a lady. Let's say Brother Hunt. You know, he's getting older and he needed to, he couldn't hold it anymore. He had to get up and go, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's say that happened. You know, it probably would be less of a distraction when he came back if he didn't come all the way back to sit down here. Now, sometimes that happens and you got to get up and go. But, you know, instead of coming back and come all the way back down to the front or wherever you were and, and climbing over somebody or not or whatever, just come in and slip and, and finish the service in the back. Again, because in your mind, you're like, I don't want to, I want to be the least amount of disruption as possible. You know, and when you got kids, especially we, we start letting kids come to the auditorium when they're, when they're three years old. And that is a, is a stage where you're just hoping they don't wet on the pew, okay? <laughs> but you start working with that. Um, listen, my kids did not go to the bathroom during church. And you know how I fixed that? I just told them, you sure, you can go, but you can get a spanking. Because you know better. Now, if you, if you absolutely have to go, then you can go, but you will get a spanking later. You say, what? That fixed it. I think 
with my five kids, I probably, Mary, correct me if I'm wrong, she's downstairs, but I would guess probably maybe two times that I actually did spank one of my kids because they left the church. You know, they're, they're like, I got to go, I got to go. Okay. And they knew it was going to result in spanking. But you know, that means they'll go to the bathroom ahead of time. They'll, in their heart and mind, prepare because you want to minimize distractions. And as they're growing, that's, a, that's just a learning curve. But we want to do that. We want to get the most out of it, not just us, but we want to let other people get a lot out of it. And so we just want to strive to not be a, a distraction that way.